This is the Teacher Mindset Coach Podcast, episode number 40. Hey, teachers, welcome to the podcast where we do the hard work to uplevel ourselves and have fun along the way. I'm your host, Ashley Wolf, and I'm here to help you rock your world with mindset stories, strategies, and skills that you've probably never been taught before. Let's do the damn thing. Hello, everyone. I am coming to you today with a fun little story. And it's a lesson that has been a thread that has run through my entire life, but someone finally put an explanation to it, put words to it. Um, Whenever I was reading the book, Loving What Is by Byron Katie, she has a very small section of her book and she calls it Living Amends, A-M-E-N-D-S, Living Amends. And it just struck a chord with me because I do know that I have this tendency in my own life, but it finally came to like a full definition with examples and way more intention. So it's something that I wanted to share with you today, because I think this is part of the growth that we do into emotional maturity. When we own our emotions, the good and the bad, we will now see different behaviors. And you can also, you know, relate this to kids, like when they own their emotions, that in itself is a, a growth in the person who they are. And it's a confidence to act differently going forward. For some reason, a specific type of student is coming into my mind. She's a sixth grader. She's a perfectionist. If she gets anything less than an A, she crumbles. She melts into a puddle. Her world momentarily is completely over. And this type of example is one that I'm sure is very, very common amongst our high achieving students. Because I don't find any difference between like a, a student example where we as teachers look at student data and maybe it's like low achieving data. Maybe it's, you know, it's um, failure to meet standard. Let's just call that. And the teacher melts into a puddle. The teacher's life is, you know, quote unquote over. Like, I know this is a very extreme example, lots of embellishment here, of course, but what I'm trying to do is paint a picture of emotional maturity as it relates to teachers with specific examples in mind of like performance. So when someone, student or teacher, takes their uh, grades, whether it's like an 89 or a 9, and they make it mean that they are, you know, devastated, they are unworthy, they're not as good as they could be. You see where I'm going with this? Like, The grade itself, the result, the test score has no actual physiological pull or influence on what we are going to think in our brain, like the sentence that's going to pop up into our brain. 
the score itself is a result. It's shown on paper. And if we take this conversation even deeper, it's a mental construct, meaning people, uh, rich white men. Did I say that out loud? My bad. Um, people constructed, they made up test scores and then the people who are looking at their own test score are going to relate this test score to something that they just did, i.e. fill out, you know, a form, (laughs) which is also known as a test. Like they put work into something, they got a score back. And teachers and students, people in general, are conditioned to make meaning out of these scores, make meaning for themselves. Now, how does this relate? (laughs) I'm catching myself, y'all. How does this relate to living amends? (laughs) I do not know. But I think that this is a very important topic. And so I'm just going to roll with it. I'll go back to living amends in just a little bit. (laughs) So when I'm thinking of these students who are on their journey of emotional maturity, And by and large, if they're not taught explicitly how to be more emotionally mature, then they will be adults who are also not emotionally mature. So many of us are. I can be, it's not a thing of like, you cure yourself of emotional immaturity. So if a person can say, all right, I feel like complete crap because I'm thinking that getting this type of score on a test, for example, makes me less worthy of love or acceptance of myself. Like when a student beats herself up or beats himself up over a low test score, I venture to guess a lot of it is because they are rebelling against their own feelings of not being accepted by the adults in their lives, um, the teachers in their lives, their their parents, their family, they compare and despair. And then ultimately, they're not accepting themselves. Because if a student can say, okay, so I made a nine on this test, but still, I know that I'm a good person. I know that I'm worthy. Like that is so um, intentionally taught to adults. And I know that kids would benefit from learning how to talk to themselves this way um, because they just aren't. It's not part of the curriculum. And so brand new tangent in my brain right now is why, you know, teachers are supposed to teach so much more that isn't the curriculum, so much more that in addition to the curriculum. And um, this is one of those things where I think that emotional maturity and how to talk to yourself and how to love yourself no matter what should be taught more than just what it's currently being taught today. So, um, but that is why I do the work with my district that I'm currently starting to do, working with teachers to help teachers understand your students can have scores and you can still love them and you can still love yourself no matter what. Now, how does this, how does this make me think of living amends? Living amends is owning your 
uh, guilt, owning your shame, owning your uh, faults as a human and the things that you will quote unquote do wrong in your life. And whenever those things happen, then the way you make it up to society, to an individual, and most of all to yourself is through what Byron Katie calls living amends. So here's a funny little story that I thought I would start the podcast with. And here we are 10 minutes in. You're welcome. (laughs) So I was at Chipotle. Love Chipotle. This was about a couple months ago. So my dad already living with us. He's doing very well, by the way. We're on like month. We're on month three of living in of my dad living in a tiny house in our backyard. And he is absolutely loving it. He spends a lot of time in his chair with his little emotional support dog right by his side, little Harley. (laughs) And dad is really loving it. He's having a great time. And that thing is so well built. My God, it is cooler in there in that tiny house than it is, you know, with a mini split for an AC than it is here in our big house uh, with a full on air conditioner. And of course, 108, 105, 101 here in Texas at the current moment. So he's doing very well. I just realized I haven't given an update on him in a long time, but dad is doing great. So I went to go to, to pick up the burritos at Chipotle. I was putting in an order for, you know, three adults, which is me, my husband, my husband and my dad, and then my son. And I, uh, I have this story, like there's this one Chipotle location that I go to because the other Chipotle location that is close to my house, they always get the order wrong is what I tell myself. Right. So like, this is part of my story. It is not a fact that they always get the order wrong. I just happen to notice all of the things that are wrong with the order whenever I go to this one Chipotle close to my house. So I refuse to go there. I'd rather drive the two extra miles and go pick up the Chipotle at my tried and true Chipotle uh, at the other location. So I put in my mobile order. Oh, no, no, I didn't put in my mobile order. I actually went through the line. So I started at the start, put in all my orders, and I was like, yeah, I am killing it. I'm keeping all these orders completely organized. Look at me go. I'm getting it all right. And then I, I leave. I didn't check it before I left. Like I just, I knew that I, it was, it was fine. And there was a little bit of, I don't want to call it confusion, but there was just a little bit of hecticness at the register when I was paying for it all. I didn't check the bags before I walked out. So when I get home, I pull everything out. I start, start serving, you know, my dad, cause he's never had Chipotle before. So clearly I have to explain to him what all the things are like, dad, this is a taco. (laughs) And of course, I'm making fun of myself here because sometimes I insert myself and and make myself way more involved than I probably have to, Um, especially whenever it's like, okay, dad, here's the way we do things here in in North Texas, like compared to uh, Houston. (laughs) And believe me, there are some things I do have to train him on, such as how to answer a call on a smartphone. Anyways, I digress. So I was getting all like everyone's burritos laid out and I realized, oh crap, 
they forgot my husband's burrito. This is terrible. It was already like eight o'clock at that point in the evening. And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to drive back. I am not going to be paying $50 for dinner at Chipotle and not having my husband's burrito. This is ridiculous. And of course, in the back of my mind, I was like, I should have gone to that Chipotle that was closer to my house. They wouldn't have messed it up. (laughs) So I drive all the way over there and I stand in line. So I go up to the register and I stand there and I wait for them to look at me, you know, because they're they're busy still because Chipotle is always busy. And I said, hey, I just I was the one that just had the big order about, you know, 15 minutes ago and one of my burritos didn't make it into the bag. And the little girl shakes her head and was like, no. Uh, and then, so immediately, you know, my defensiveness goes and I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't have driven all the way back here if everything was fine. I, I'm missing one of my burritos. Here's my receipt and blah, blah, blah. So the manager steps in because the girl at the register didn't fight me on it, but she was like, no, I, I just don't, I, I think it all, it was all in there. And I, I kept to my story of, I wouldn't have driven all this way to come back for a burrito that I already had. So the manager was so kind. She made me the burrito. She didn't charge me. I walked out with it. I drove all the way back home. I was doing great. I was winning at life. And then I come in and set it in front of my husband. And I go out there to the tiny house and I finally sit down to eat my own burrito. And lo and behold, the missing burrito was actually pulled out of the bag first And I covered it up with the bag when I was setting everything out. And it was just sitting there right by the, uh, the microwave in my dad's tiny house. So now I had an extra burrito. So I was like, oh crap, gotta go make this right. But it's too late tonight. So I didn't, I didn't get back in my, my truck for a third trip there, but I did start making a plan in my mind of how I would make this right. That's what living amends really is all about. It's about making things right. Now, making things right is an opinion. Everyone's going to have a different idea, a different strategy of how to make things right. And the best way to know if something is right is how it feels to you. We think something's right. We feel we can feel a whole bunch of things. We can feel settled. We can feel at peace. So I was looking for, you know, that peaceful feeling of like, okay, I've set things right. And so my brain started thinking, all right, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make amends? I can't go back there and say, all right, well, um, here's the, here's the burrito. It was in our fridge overnight. And and now you can give me, you know, I can, I can give it back to you. No, not going to work. And I thought of the description or the uh, example story that Byron Katie um, gave in her book, Loving What Is. She had an example of when um, someone she knew when he was younger um, was kind of in the shoplifting phase of his life. And there was one particular store that he would shoplift um, clothing, shirts. So he tried once to explain to the manager like, Hey, a couple months ago, I stole this shirt. It was 29 99 or whatever the price was. Um, 
can I pay you $29.99 to, you know, make this right? And it was just kind of a very odd thing for a manager to have to like put money into the register without a product coming across the line. And so what this guy did was he would bring a shirt that was probably, you know, the exact same type or pretty close to one that he had shoplifted months or years before. And he would take that shirt up to the register, act like he was buying it, pay for it, and then put it right back on the rack. It was just the easiest way. It was the the least confusing way for him to do what he thought was right to make amends for the behavior that he had done against that store in his past. And so I thought, okay, there's a couple of ways I can go about this with uh, my Chipotle burrito incident. I can do the typical like pay it forward type of thing where the next time I'm at Chipotle, I can place my order and then the person next to me who's coming up to the register after me, I can just pay for their burrito. Or if nothing, if no one is in line after me, I can get a Chipotle gift card, load it up with 10 bucks and leave it at the register for the ladies to use for the next person or for themselves. Not that they need, because they probably eat for free when they're on the clock, I would hope, but they could use it in that way. So it's not like this thing where I'm explaining everything and trying to give back, you know, money for the burrito. So I had my two strategies. A couple months went by. I um, found myself in the same situation where, you know, the next month I was putting in an order to pick up for my whole family. And of course, when I was in line, I was like, man, no one's, no one's behind me. No one's coming up. And so as I went down the line, I was like, okay, I'll just do the gift card. But then right at the last minute, this was so cool. Right at the last minute, some guy walks in, he's alone, single guy, starts building his burrito. And right when he is about to come to the register, I was finishing up. And I said to the gal um, at the register, I said, I'll just pay for his burrito. Just put it on my tab. He didn't hear me say that, but when she asked him, like, sir, what are you, what's your order? And he, um, he told her what he was getting. She put that on the register and I paid and he goes, wait, what? And I said, well, I just last month and I, I tried to keep it short. I said, last month I accidentally, um, got an extra burrito that I didn't pay for. And so I was just wanting to, you know, kind of pay it back to the store. And this was the, the quickest and easiest way to do that. And it was just so cool because the smile on this guy's face was priceless. And the staff at the store, they were, you know, they were overhearing, they were, they were listening to me tell this story. And even though it was like, okay, this is not an attention grab, even though sometimes I feel like I do that. This really is something that is cathartic for me. This is how I make things right. This is how I, um, feel more at peace with maybe a wrongdoing, no matter how big or small. And now it's like my right doing. So I want to like offer this out to you. It doesn't always have to be based with money. Like these two examples, one from Byron Katie's book, and then mine from Chipotle, like they involve money, but living amends is going to um, come up as an opportunity for all of us in so many different ways. But I think what what's at the center of this is um, relationships. 
your relationship with yourself, number one, like what are you going to hold on to in your conscience and how does it help you in your relationship with yourself? So the, the Chipotle burrito example was for me, for my relationship with myself, it is kind of going along those lines of like, you know, I, I don't want to owe anyone. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad, but it's more like, I want to be even Steven with people. I want to, and maybe even I want to give more. Like, I don't want to always have it be to where I'm the one receiving. Although receiving is tons of fun, but I do like being in the giving mode. Um, And so I think that's kind of what I want to do for myself in living amends is if I have taken and it's an uneven trade, I know that I want to make it up to where I'm evening things out at the least, if not giving more. And so living amends can be something like this, no matter how long ago one of your perceived wrongdoings was, if you feel like you want to make it right, and that's really the key, you have to want to make it right. There is no obligation here because receiving an extra burrito that you didn't pay for, when we think about life, it's neutral. It doesn't mean that every single person in this situation is going to have the same thought about it. Or if someone has been, you know, a shoplifter in the past, they might not have a single want to make that up in their body and they don't have to want to. So my point here is this, you don't have to be obliged and living amends does not have any room for the feeling of obligation. What I mean by that is if someone feels obliged to go back to Chipotle buy a gift card, leave it at the register, and they feel bitter about it, then that to me is truly not living amends because that leaves bitterness in you. And there's more work to be done on the side of questioning and figuring out and being inquisitive with yourself of why you don't feel obliged. And is that a problem? Some people might be like, listen here, Chipotle makes plenty of money. One burrito not going to hurt them. I don't have time to go and pay for someone else's burrito. And that could sit perfectly well with someone. That's what I mean by when I say that, you know, an extra burrito that someone didn't pay for is completely neutral. Everyone's going to have a different thought about it. My husband couldn't believe that I was actually taking the time to go make this all right and, and get the extra burrito and all that stuff. But I was in a tizzy. So I think making amends also with myself and living amends with myself from this burrito example is slowing down. So like the lesson that I paid to myself is the lesson of let's slow down. Let's not be so hasty to make a decision that someone has done me wrong, which is another, it's like a polar opposite, but the lesson inside of me going back and making something right there wasn't a wrong in the first place. If I had just slowed down and said, well, I wonder if I just misplaced this gigantic burrito (laughs) or I wonder if it's just in a different place, then I would probably have found it. But then 
there wouldn't have been an opportunity for me to learn more about myself is that sometimes I can be a little hasty in accusing someone of doing me wrong. So living amends takes all different shapes. It comes from within inside you and it has something for you as a lesson to be learned. So no matter when the wrongdoing was, if you feel an urge to make it right, just think on it and you will find the way that most resonates with you and how you want to show up in the world. Because the you from the past that did the wrongdoing was one version of you. The you in the present or the future that shows up and makes it right is another version of you. And as long as you keep your eyes on the prize, the prize being the version of you that you want to be the most, that's what will guide you to finding out how, in fact, you can make it right for yourself and others. So I will be talking to you guys soon. I know that the summer is ticking away and um, the next few episodes are going to be really geared towards mindset as the summer uh, comes to a close. And I want to just offer you this. If you're already kind of fearing going back to school and this anxiety is coming up, maybe it's coming up for you physically, like your stomach is hurting, your chest is getting tight, your head hurts. Um, I do want to offer you this. Number one, you can survive any physical sensation, otherwise known as an emotion. You can, you can get through it. You can survive it. You can power through. And also, if you start telling yourself that the time you had off for your summer was perfect, everything happened exactly the way it should, and the school year is going to start exactly when it should and how it should, if you start telling yourself these more accepting statements, it'll be a little easier to go back and not yearn for the summer that we had. Everything has gone exactly the way it should. Everything is perfect. The summer was exactly the the right amount of time. And everything that you did or didn't do over the summer is exactly the way it should. You know how I know? Because that's how it happened. So if you'd like, start telling yourself these things to make the transition from summer to, um, you know, the start of school a little less resistant. And I will talk to you guys next time. Bye. If you got something out of today's show, I invite you to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. I'd also love to see you in the Teacher Mindset Coach Facebook group so we can nerd out on mindset work as a community of badass teachers. And remember, you can always email me at coachwithwolf, W-O-L-F-E, at gmail.com. Now go be awesome. See you next time.